in a series um, called Sound of Silence, and we've been talking about depression. And uh, over the past three months, we've been kind of tackling different topics that are kind of seen, I guess, as taboo within the church. Um, it's, it's something that we feel like the church doesn't address a whole lot. We've addressed anxiety, we've addressed offenses, and then this month we're talking about depression. But there's just things sometimes that we don't talk about often enough in the church, and I simply believe because oftentimes we just don't understand it. We don't know where it comes from. We, we don't feel like we can find it in the Bible. But what we've been doing is we've been taking the book of Psalms and the thing that we love about the book of Psalms, the authors of the Psalms, there's never, never an attempt within the Psalms to polish up reality. The thing that I love about the writers in the Psalms is they're just brutally honest about where they're at. Unlike some of you when you came in here in the doors and we shook your hand and we said, how are you? And you said, I'm great. (laughs) Which we all know the truth is for some of us, we're not, right? Some of us don't feel like life is going great. Some of us, if we're just to be brutally honest with ourselves, we feel like God has left us. We feel like God's abandoned us. We feel like God has completely forgotten about us. We feel like, man, we've just dug ourselves in a hole and there's no way out and surely not even God can get me out. And the thing that I love about the Psalms is the author, ex- the author expresses the same emotions that many of you feel today. Um, David, you'll, we'll, we'll read it in just a moment and we're going to dive into Psalms 42 again. But as you read it, you see David who is just crying out and lamenting and he's saying, God, where are you? What's going on? How, just show of hands here. How many of you have ever felt like you're like, God, have you forgotten about little old me down here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You feel like you've just dug yourself in a hole and there's nothing that you can do. And maybe you're absolutely convinced today that God's just angry at you. How many of you know one of the greatest things that the enemy does to us whenever we find ourselves in a difficult spot, the enemy oftentimes convinces us that God is, one, he's forgotten about us, and two, the most devastating thing that we can believe is that he's mad at us. And so what that does is it puts us into this perpetual state of I've got to work in order for God to be pleased with me. And the problem with that is it's it's a complete misunderstanding of the gospel because the gospel says it doesn't matter how hard you work, it doesn't matter what you do, how how hard you attain things, God already approves of you. Already, there's, there's nothing that you could do that's going to make God love you any more or make God love you any less. So if you're struggling with depression today, that's what I want you to understand. Now, before I dive into this, um, let me say this, because we've kind of run this series kind of in connection with every other sermon. So I'm going to just throw this out there up front. What I would like you to do, if you're here for the first time, man, go go jump on our podcast and listen to some of them, because some of the things that I'm going to say this morning are going to seem counterintuitive to everything that I've said the past three weeks, Um, but they're not. They really do connect with one another. Before I dive in, before I pray, I just want to constantly remind you guys. We don't hand out paper notes. We totally believe in everything digital. It just makes life a whole lot easier. I hate paper. Um, So what we do, we have a a YouVersion Bible app. We go live every single Sunday on that app. All you got to do is download it. If you've already got it downloaded, you could click on the app. On the very bottom right-hand screen, you're going to see three little bars. You click those three little bars, you're going to see a tab that says events. Just click the event, and because of the location software and the FBI tracking all of us, they can find But anyway, it'll track you right where you are, and it, you'll see a little event that says Our Savior's Church Crowley. Just click on that and follow along. It has all the scriptures, all the notes, all that kind of stuff. So let me pray, and we're going to dive right in. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. 
God, I pray that this morning, God, wherever we're at in our journey, God, that you would meet us. God, I know there's many in here today, maybe, God, they're just skeptical. Maybe they don't believe in this whole thing. It doesn't seem logical to them. It doesn't, how could a loving God um, murder his one and only son for me? Why, why would he do something like that? Maybe, God, there's people in here that maybe they have a relationship with you, but, God, maybe they're just confused. Maybe they feel so broken and so hopeless, and they feel like, man, there's nothing that God can do to reach out to me. God, I just pray whatever our walls are, whatever our exteriors are, God, whatever we have built up, God, I pray that you would come crashing through those walls. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So what we're going to do this morning is I've titled this Answer the Why. Answer the Why. Um, And and I'll explain that all throughout the sermon. But I don't know if you guys have noticed it or not, but our culture more and more and more every single day, every single year that progresses, is treating human beings almost as if they're machines. Um, They're treating them almost as if they're machines. And and here's what I mean by that. We, We work longer than ever before. Um, we, we, we take on more responsibility than ever before. Human beings are at the max level capacity more than in, in any time in history. Depression is at an all-time high. Anxiety is at an all-time high. And the truth is, instead of, because we have this mentality of we want to work like a machine, just continue to work, just continue to go. We have all this stuff compiling on our plates. We can't stop. So instead of dealing with issues, real issues in our life, um, culture teaches us not to deal with them, rather suppress them. Rather numb them. So, so here's what this looks like. You have issues going on in your life, but rather than dealing with it, just stare at a screen long enough until you forget about it. <laughs> right? And so, so what happens is we, we buy into this culture that says, just look at the phone, just look at the TV long enough. And as long as you can do that, as long as you can kind of just suppress that back in your mind, hopefully it will go away. And the truth is we live in a culture that hates confrontation. We don't like things confronting. So when we look at a problem or an issue that is confronting us in our life, we don't want to deal with it, so we just suppress it. How many know what I'm talking about? We, we numb it. We completely try to get it out of our thought process. Culture is also saying, hey, just keep ticking, just keep going. But we fail to forget we're not machines, are we? The truth is we're designed with a body that gets tired. How many of you guys ever get tired? We're designed with a body that grows weary, that is screaming at us saying, slow down, stop, you cannot continue at this pace. We're also designed with a soul that just gets depleted. So if you, if you found yourself ever at a place in your life, or maybe you had a vibrant relationship with Jesus, and then you find yourself down here and you're going, what happened? My soul is just screaming at me. Where is that connection? Where is that intimacy with God? Oftentimes it's because we're treating ourselves like machines. Just keep going, just keep ticking, never stop. And the truth is, God not only designed us with a body and a soul, but he designed us with a spirit that is starving. And let me just be honest with you real quick, because this is the culture that we have bought into today. The reason that many of us are starving today is because we have not become self-feeders. So here's what this means. We come into church and we get our one meal and then we starve the rest of the week. We starve the rest of the week. Like what you hear on Sunday is not enough to sustain you the rest of the week. And the truth is, it really is. It takes cultivating a relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. 
But if you have been operating in this kind of mentality that you're treating your body, your spirit, your soul as a machine where you just keep going, you keep going, you keep ticking, you just keep striving, ultimately you're going to get to a place where the oil runs dry, you feel like you got nothing left to give, and you're going to come into one of those weeks where you just feel like, you know what, I don't want to deal with anything. I just want to numb it. I just want to sit in front of a screen. I just want to relax. I don't want to think. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had, I had one of those weeks this week. <laughs> uh, really because right now we have so many, my wife and I have just so many major decisions that we have to make within the next few weeks um, concerning the church, Um, concerning our personal lives, all kinds of things, and all these things compiling at once. And the tendency sometimes when you feel overwhelmed is rather than seeking God for solutions is just to kind of back away and bury your head in the sand. I I looked over at my wife a few nights ago, and we were talking through some of the things that I was overwhelmed about. And I I remember looking at her, I said, have you just ever had like the tendency to want to go, God, can I just bury my head in the sand and come out in about two days? Anybody, Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, can I just like crawl into a hole and let all these issues just dissolve and hopefully they'll go away and then I'll emerge back into society and be like, hey, I'm back and everything's fine, right? The truth is it doesn't happen like that. You're not a machine. When we numb the real issues, we end up depressed over the wrong thing. Let me explain for a second. Um, Because here's what I want us to answer this morning. There is a reason that we're depressed. There is a why behind everything. There is a reason that we feel this anxiousness. There is a reason that we feel overwhelmed. There is a reason that we're depressed. And if we can answer that why today, then we can start to get underneath that depression and start uprooting it. So let me explain it this way. Maybe someone in here this morning is depressed over a breakup or a divorce, but the real issue is why are relationships so hard in today's culture? Because if we could answer that, then a breakup or a divorce possibly wouldn't happen. Or let me put it another way. Someone is depressed over the death of a loved one, but the real issue is why don't we give ourselves permission in this culture to grieve? Why don't we give ourselves permission to grieve and to say, man, it's going to take time to heal over this. But because we live in this culture that treats human beings as machines, just get back up. You'll be fine. Just keep going. And we feel depleted. Maybe someone in here is depressed over the loss of money, but the real issue is why are we so financially squeezed in today's culture? Let me give you another one. Someone is depressed maybe over a child addicted to drugs, but the real issue is why do so many teenagers feel that they need drugs to cope with life? You see the why behind everything? There is a why behind every issue that we face. Every depression that you battle, every... um, weak emotion that we deal with, there is a why behind it. And my prayer for this morning is that hopefully the Holy Spirit will convict us of what that why is. Now let me preface it this way. For some of you this morning, I'm just going to be real honest with you. It's going to be painful. Because some of the emotions, we have taken them and we have suppressed them deep, deep, deep down like really far down that we don't ever want to remember. We don't ever want to dig those things up again. But the truth is, until we get underneath the surface and ask the question of what is causing this and why is it causing me to feel this way, we're never going to get on a path to joy. So here's what depression is good at. It's good at getting us to focus on what we're going through but fails to answer why we're going through it. And the truth is, the only way that we're going to answer the why is if we dig deep this morning. We get underneath the surface, 
we allow God to begin to tap into those emotions that we have suppressed, that we have numbed, that we have pushed down, the past that maybe has affected us, and we say corny phrases like, man, I've just forgot about it, and it doesn't affect me anymore. I don't know if you ever know this. You can forgive the past, but you don't ever get over it unless you completely surrender it to Jesus. It's always going to come back. Even if you feel like, oh, I've completely suppressed it and got rid of it, it will affect you at different times in our life if we don't deal with it. See, it's not enough to just admit that you have a problem. You must start answering, listen, the why behind the pain. Like, depression causes pain, doesn't it? For, for many of us, we feel it in our bodies. We, we feel it in our souls. We feel it in our spirits. And why? Why is it there? So let me, let me illustrate it this way. I read a story this week of some miners, and they're about to enter into this mine. They're going into the mine shaft, and they notice before they enter, there's all these dead canaries outside of the mine. All these dead canaries. And so you've got about 10 miners that look at it, and instead of asking the question of, why are all these birds dead? They immediately assume, instead of there, there, there must be something toxic coming out of the mine, instead of that, they just assume that there was something wrong with the canaries rather than there being something wrong with the mine. So the miners go deep down into the mine and they end up suffering the same fate that the canaries do. And this is what depression does. What it does is it gets us to focus on, oh, there must be something wrong with um, someone else or something that happened to me, and it doesn't answer that, well, why are those birds dead? What is the why behind it? Is there something toxic in the mind? And the truth is the reason that we don't ask the why oftentimes is because it's too painful. The reason that we don't want to dig it up is because it's going to dig up emotions that maybe you felt five, six years ago, and you, you said to yourself, I don't ever want to feel those again, so I'm going to do everything I can to numb that, suppress it, ignore it, and do whatever I can to never experience that again. But the truth is, for many of us, we don't realize whatever that instance was, whatever that moment was, whatever that phrase in time was, the thing that you suppressed five, six years ago, could it be that that is the very reason that you feel depressed today? Could it be that you thought you got rid of it, but that pain that you felt five, six years ago is making you feel the way that you do today? So here's the question that we have to answer today. Could the depression that you face today come from the pain that you have ignored yesterday? Could the depression that you face today come from the pain that you ignored yesterday? See, something, something is causing your depression. Emotional pain is not random. It's not random. Somewhere lurking in the shadows of your life is a sly monster preying on your soul. Somewhere deep down in the corners of your life of something that you have suppressed, that is the reason for your depression. And I know this to be true through life experience, but I also know this to be true through scriptures. So here's what I want to do. I want, we, we, we talked about this psalm in the very first week, but I want to revisit it because I think it illustrates perfectly what I want to get across this morning. And this is King David in Psalms um, 42. And what I love about it, once again, David opens this psalm. He's arguing. He's lamenting. He's questioning. He's probing. He's hoping. At the end of the day, he's extremely passionate, and he uses vivid language in this psalm. Watch what he says. Psalms 42, verse 1 through 3. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to what he says here. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? He's almost mocking himself in this scripture. He's saying, man, my tears have been my food. And it's almost like they're saying, hey, where is your God in the midst of your pain? Now, many scholars agree, and I would pretty much agree with them. When when David wrote this psalm in Psalms 42, um, they believed that this was the time when he was pushed out of his kingdom. And I'll explain that in a moment. But because of David's sin, he was a king in a palace one day, and the next day he's hiding in the woods, fearing for his life because he has a son that is chasing him, trying to kill him. And so here's what David is doing. He said, man, all day... Uh, um, my tears are my food, and that kind of stuff. And then he ends up saying, watch this, in Psalms 42, verse 4, he goes into a moment where he briefly remembers what it used to be like. He says, I remember how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Here's what he's saying. I remember it wasn't always like this. Man, when I was in the kingdom... I had my family together, and things were great, and I had servants, and I had all these things. But now here I am in the woods, fearing for my life, clutching to my sword, and he's having a brief moment of remembering, man, a few days ago it wasn't like this. This wasn't my life a few days ago. And then David asks the most incredibly important question in what we're going to revolve the rest of this message around in Psalms 42. Watch this, Psalms 42, verse 5. He asks this question, and he's talking to himself. How many of you guys talk to yourself? Anybody? How many of you guys blame it on Bluetooth, but you're not really talking to anybody, you're just talking to yourself? (laughs) Psalms 42, verse 5. It's David, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? If you were to take the, the Hebrew language in that, and you were to translate it to modern vernacular, it would translate as this, why are you so depressed? So he's asking himself this question. Why are you so depressed? Why are you so disturbed within me? And then he, then he talks hope to himself. He says, put your hope in God, for, yet I, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Now here's what I would argue. I would argue that the reason, the why, behind why David is so depressed is because of his sin. Now, that's the issue for David. It may be a completely different issue for you, but let's, let's play this out for a moment. So, I'm, for sake of time, I'm not going to read through the whole story, but in 2 Samuel, you can dive into this if you want to go read it for yourself later. Pick it up in chapter 16, I think. But in 2 Samuel, David is on the top of his, his, his kingdom, and he's looking out, and he sees this young woman naked bathing, and he goes, all right, Signal my servants, tell this woman to come up with, I want her. And uh, one of his servants looks back at him and he says, David, king, do you know that that woman, that's Uriah's wife? Well, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. And he says, listen, I don't care, bring her to me. So long story short, he ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, okay? How many know that's bad news? Uriah is still alive. He just slept with he, uh, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, now she's pregnant. Now David is in a jam. What does he do? So what he does is he tries to take the more logical approach first. He says, okay, bring, take Uriah off the battlefield. Bring him to me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get him drunk. I'm going to make him have a good time. And I'm going to tell him, hey, go sleep with your wife. 
And, you know, maybe he'll think that he impregnated Bathsheba. Well, Uriah, who is an honorable man, he has a good time with David. And he's, after he gets drunk, he says, go home, be with Bathsheba. Uriah, who's an honorable man, he does not go home to his wife. David wakes up the next morning and finds him sleeping on the doorstep of his castle. He says, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Why are you not enjoying your wife? And his reply is, he says, king, my, my men are out fighting. They're out suffering. They're out sleeping on the ground. Why in the world would I go enjoy the pleasures that this life has to offer when all of my men are in war fighting? Of course I'm going to sleep on the ground. I'm not going to go spend time with my wife. Well, David's going, oh, shoot, what do I do now? So what does he do? He sends Uriah back off to battle. He goes to battle and he tells one of his servants, hey, as soon as you guys are charging, I want everybody to make sure that you pull back from the front lines. Make sure Uriah is out there in the front. Make sure he gets killed. Long story short, Uriah is killed. So two things happen. David, he's committed adultery. Now he's committed murder. Now up until this point in 2 Samuel, he is completely unrepentant. So God sends a prophet. <laughs> Says, all right, go tell David. Let's talk about David's sins. So Nathan shows up. He says, hey, listen, let me tell you a story. And I love this story. He goes, hey, listen, once there was a rich man. And he had all kinds of lamb. He had all kinds of people. He threw this huge party. But there was also this one poor man, and he had one lamb. And he loved this lamb, but this rich man decided to throw a party one day. And instead of slaughtering one of his own lamb, he took the one lamb from this poor man, and he fed his guests with this one lamb. And it says in that moment that David was enraged as Nathan is telling this story. And he said, who is this man? He says, bring him to me so that we can hang him. And Nathan looks back at him. He says, oh, by the way, David, you are that man. You are that man. He said, you, you, you took Bathsheba, Uriah's only wife. And it says, in that moment that David repents, it says he tears his clothes, he falls to the ground, he begins to repent. But then what most people don't read in the rest of the story, Nathan also says, hey, here's the things that are going to happen to you now in your life because of your sin. He said, there's going to be bad blood within your family. That was coined before Taylor Swift ever wrote that song. He says, there's going to be bad blood in your family. And if you read the stories, you see just, gosh, multiple tragic. Bathsheba gives birth to the son. He comes out ill. It says, David prays and fasts for seven days. He doesn't eat anything, praying for his son to live. The, the firstborn ends up dying. And not only that, he has some sons that grow up. Absalom tries to kill him. In Psalms 42, um, Absalom is the one that David is actually running from. David has another son that rapes his sister. They get, it's just like this horrible family drama that begins to happen. So hopefully what we did there is we just give you some context of where David is at. David's sins have come back to haunt him. The things that he thought that, man, I'm just going to suppress them. Hopefully, you know, they'll just completely be over. I can forget about these things. And for years go by, and it's not that bad. He's completely suppressed those emotions. They're completely over in his mind until his children begin to grow up. And all of a sudden, everything comes back to haunt him. So here's the question. What's causing the depression in your life? What is the why behind it? Why are we so stressed out? Why are we so overwhelmed? Why are we so worried and anxious and unhappy and tired and miserable? Number one, the first point that I want to make 
And like I said, this is going to seem like a complete contradiction to everything that I have said in the past three weeks, but it's not. I'll explain it towards the end. Number one, depression is not a disease. It is a symptom. It is not a disease. It is a symptom. You never just arrive at a destination. There is always a path that you have charted to get there, right? There's always something that has led you to that. So let me explain that. Two reasons, okay? Number two. There's two ways to look at depression. You view depression as a disease. It's only a chemical malfunction in my brain. That's it. I believe that that is partially true. Because all throughout this series, I've said in Genesis chapter 3, when man fell in the garden, it was not just his body that physically fell. His physiology did not just fell. It's chemistry in his brain. I totally believe that there are certain chemicals in our brain that do misfire and malfunction. But it does not just stop there. Because Isaiah 43, 16 says this, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. So, so what is God saying? When the children of Israel were fleeing from the Egyptians and they got to the Red Sea and there was no way out. And that's how we feel in the middle of depression, isn't it? There is no way out of this. There's no escape. When they come up to the sea and they say, man, we've got Egyptians at our back and we've got a sea in front of us. We're either going to die by the sword or we're going to drown. But God, in his mercy and in his grace and his love, what does he do? He parts the Red Sea, and they walk through it. The chemical imbalance is part of the issue, but it's not the only issue. The second way that we look at depression is this. You view depression as a symptom, meaning that there is something wrong with your body. There is something wrong with your soul, spirit, brain, life, and patterns, and the result is depression. Let me, let me put it this way. If depression is a disease, then you're, then you're a victim. We feel sorry for ourselves. We can question God. And the truth is, if, if it's a disease, then there's no way out. It renders the gospel completely useless. So we find ourselves shaking our fists at the sky, asking why, God. We pray for healing. We go to the doctor. We try every medication known to man. And we pray for the right drug, the right prescription, the right diagnosis. We hope for the best. But if depression is a symptom, that changes everything. You're not a victim. If anything, you're the perpetrator of the crime. Meaning this, we don't feel sorry for ourselves. We don't question God. We get underneath our own motives and what are we doing to lead us to this point. It's like we talked about yesterday. Remember what Jeremiah talked about? One of the, the second point that we, that we made last Sunday was simply this. Stop believing everything that you're thinking. Stop believing everything that you're thinking. How many of you know we lie to ourselves more than anybody? We convince ourselves that problems aren't that bad. We tell ourselves that it's, it, we're going to get through it when in reality we have no way to get out. <laughs> we say it's going to be okay when we know that it's not going to be okay. We have to ask ourselves the same question that David poses. Why am I so downcast? Why is my soul in this slump? Why do I feel so depressed? Why do I feel so overwhelmed? Why do I feel so anxious? Today, God is, listen, God is calling us to answer the why. He's calling us to answer the why. Why do we feel this way? See, David's depression came from sin. What's yours coming from? Are you overwhelmed? Are you working too much? Are you treating yourself like the machine? Are we resting? You know, one of the things that we have literally just completely forgotten in this culture is a Sabbath. Do we take a day just to, rather than do, but then just to be? 
Rather than getting things accomplished and checking things off the list and running from this baseball game to that basketball game and then running here and doing that, do we ever take a day just to breathe, to slow down? Because the truth is we're not machines. Where's the depression coming from? Is it coming from, man, the bills are piling up? Are there things that you're hiding that are eating away at your soul? Like David says, the longer that I hid, the more that my bones begin to eat themselves away. What is it? What's causing the misery? And here's what God is asking us to do this morning. He's asking us to dig. He's asking us to probe. He's asking us to go to counseling. He's asking us to open up with friends and family and begin to dive into those issues. I'm just going to... I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably going to ask more questions this morning than I'm going to give you answers. But the truth is we need to learn to do that because we live in a culture today that hates answering questions. We don't want, like, no, 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 Pastor, don't, don't ask me those questions because I don't want to go there. I don't want to dive into that part of my life. What God is asking us to do, he's asking us to fast, he's asking us to pray, he's asking us to dig down deep, because somewhere deep inside your life, there is something that is causing the depression. What is it? Now, throughout this entire series, we have weaved this through the fabric of everything, but we have said that ultimately the goal through this is for God to restore our joy. And that that God, the last thing that he wants for us is to live a life of just complete and utter depression and being miserable for the rest of our life. So how do we get there? How do we restore joy? Comes from number two. Point number two. Joy only comes through surgery. Joy only comes through surgery. And here's what I mean by that. If you want to fight off depression, you must be willing to dig deep. What is underneath the surface? Truth is, there's something that we've all buried deep below the surface that we don't want to let anybody know. Usually we don't want to let anybody know because we think the moment that we open up our mouths, everybody else is going to think we're crazy, right? But the truth is that the moment that we embrace community, this is why we talk about next step in life groups so much. Because, man, the moment that you get around people that love you and care about you and lean in to where you're at in your life, and you start opening up about the things that you're struggling with, guess what happens? It's like a chain reaction that sits off around the room. Everybody begins to open up, and in an instant, you don't feel so crazy. Now, I understand what I'm asking from many of you today is not easy, because the truth is, you already feel depleted. You feel vulnerable. You feel weak. And I get that. And the last thing that you want to do is dig up the pain that you've been suppressing for so long right? If you're struggling with depression, that's like the pastor, that's the last thing in the world that I want to do. That's going to make me, that just makes me more depressed even thinking about that. (laughs) But here's the truth. Think of your body for a moment. If your leg is broken, like broken, you've snapped the bone, you can take all the pain medication you want, you can take aspirin, you can take Vicodin, you can take all kinds of things It's not going to fix your leg. It's only going to dull the problem, right? It's not going to fix the leg. If you want to fix the leg, what has to happen? If you want to walk again, what has to happen? Surgery. 
You've got to cut open the skin. You've got to dig down deep. You've got to embrace something painful. And when that surgery happens, they're going to fuse that bone back together. They're going to put your leg in a cast. And what's going to happen? You're going to have pain for a few months. Pain. You're not going to be able to walk properly. But in that moment of you enduring that pain, what is happening? Your leg is healing. That bone is being fused back together. And because of surgery, because you allowed those doctors to dig underneath the surface, you embrace the uncomfortable for a moment. Healing is taking place even when it doesn't feel like it is. Even when it doesn't feel like it is. After time of waiting, after that process of healing, here's the cool thing. You'll walk like new again. You'll walk like new again. And today, those that choose to dig up the pain will walk again. And those that choose to continue to suppress it will walk with a limp for the rest of their life. And here's all I'm asking you to do today. I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I know there's some things that you don't want to dig up. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather deal with that pain of maybe six months of making yourself completely uncomfortable and vulnerable around other people and open and honest, and then it's over. And then there's healing, and you can walk again, and you feel free, and you feel freedom that you've never experienced before, and here's what happens. Joy begins to come alive again. Like things, feelings that you thought that you would never experience again begin to come alive again. Or we can sit back and say, you know what, I'm okay. I'll walk with a limp the rest of my life. I'll hold on to this depression. I'll hold on to this bitterness. It's not really going to affect me that much. But the problem with that is it begins to bleed into everything. You take that limp into relationships. You take that limp into spirituality. You take that limp into the way that you view God. The lens that you begin to see the world through is through that limp because we have chosen not to have surgery. Now let me, ask, let me answer this real quick because people have asked me this all throughout the series. I probably get this question every single Sunday that we've done this series. Well, Pastor, are you against medication or antidepressants? Absolutely not. Like I said in the beginning, if there is a chemical imbalance, if there's, in Genesis 3, when man fell, everything fell. I'm just, I totally buy into the fact that medicine can help us get to a point where maybe we can think clearly, but it's not the answer. Because there's no pill that can save your soul. There's no pill that can fix your soul, the woundedness, the stuff that you have suppressed, the stuff that you have pushed down. If it helps the pain for a moment, by all means, take it if it's prescribed. The right question, though, oftentimes when we're asking this question, we're we're, we're asking the wrong question. The right question is, what's causing the pain in your soul? What's causing your pain in the soul? Medicine helps balance out your emotions, and that is a gift from God. But medicine does not make you happy. It cannot make you happy. Drugs like Paxol, Prozac, Zoloft, they numb your emotions, but they'll never fix your soul. I don't know about you, but I want for you guys to feel joy again. I don't want you to be numb to reality, numb to the things that are going on in your life. And this is the tendency that we live in in the Christian world sometimes, in the Christian bubble well, I can't confess what I'm really going through because people think I'm a certain way, and if I confess this, then it's just going to totally ruin my, my aura around people or the way that people view So what? So what? If that gets you on the path to freedom, then guess what? You get to live with a freer version of yourself. 
Man, you're going to live free. You're going to experience joy. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we want for you. This is the whole reason we've done this series. Because we want God to restore joy in you. But the only way that that is going to happen is through surgery. The only way that's going to happen, and and a better way to say that would be the only way that's going to happen for many of us is within the context of community. This is the truth. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. It's why we stress so hard and so much all the time. Some of you are probably sick and tired of hearing it when we talk about life groups, when we talk about next step. The truth is, you cannot heal the wounds that you have caused and done to yourself on your own. You need Jesus and you need community to help you walk through that. Third point that I want to make. It's going to sound crazy, but it's true. Depression can be a good thing. Say, okay, how is that that possible? Here's what you have to understand about depression. It's not always a bad thing because God built us as emotional creatures. He built us to experience things. He he built us to feel things. And not all unpleasant feelings are necessarily bad. So let me put it this way. Depression can be a natural, normal, God-fabricated emotion, or it can be a response to unhealthy activity in our life. So, So let me give you an example. If you're in here today and maybe you're, you're not married and so you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're sleeping with your boyfriend, oftentimes when that happens, you walk away with this emotion of depression. Man, why do I feel bad about this? Why do I, why do I, why do I have this feeling that kind of overwhelms me? And I, I kind of feel gross. I feel like something is not right. It's God's way of saying, stop what you're doing. I have better for you. Or another example, if you're dealing with the death of a loved one, depression is a natural, normal human response to tragedy. I want you to know this. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel deeply. It's okay to process. It's okay to lament. It's okay to feel like in a moment like God has left you. And you release that pain of losing somebody you love. Or maybe if you're working like 90 hours a week, (laughs) You're ignoring your family and friends and neglecting your walk with God. Depression can be a gift from God. I don't know if you realize this, but your soul, the way that God has designed it, it's built to scream at you every now and then. It's built to scream at you saying, hey, I I can't operate like this. I don't work like this. I I need sleep. I need rest. I need to be with friends. I need, to, I need to be with my family. I need a day where I can just, rather than be doing a whole lot of things, man, I can just be human. The truth is, some of us have just forgotten what, you know, stirs our affections for Jesus. You know what I catch myself doing when I have just a busy, crazy week and I feel like it's nonstop? I find myself in this kind of cycle of like, man, I'm not even being human. I'm operating, I forget about the things that like stir my affections or, you know, finding the beauty and wonder and just nature or finding the beauty and wonder and listening to a song or looking at, I love words and how they come together. Like you lose all that sight. When you're so busy, when you're operating like a machine, you lose some of the wonder that God has created you to experience. And oftentimes this is the very thing that causes depression. Maybe God's telling us in that depression, hey, value people over things, relationships over accomplishments. Take a Sabbath. Take one day out of seven not to do. Here's the truth. Pain can be a gift. And here's what I mean by that. Pain exists to guard us from permanent damage. 
Pain exists to guard us from permanent damage. See, when your knee hurts or your leg hurts, you limp for a reason. Why? Because if you put full pressure on that, it's going to hurt and you're probably going to mess something up. So that pain is there to say, no, don't, don't put a whole lot of pressure on this leg. Pain keeps you off your feet, allowing your leg to heal, and it guards you from long-term damage. Doctors tell us all the time to listen to our bodies. We've got to, learn to, we've got to start learning to listen to ourselves. Man, when we feel depleted, when we feel like we've got nothing left, if we just ignore that, this is the very thing that is going to cause depression. Underneath the surface, there is something that is causing it. Yet again, I do believe that there can be certain chemical imbalances that maybe naturally would cause depression, but it is not the only reason. There's something deep within our soul, within our emotions that we're ignoring, that we're suppressing, And listen, I don't know where you're at today, but as I bring this to a close, my challenge for every person in here, my heart really does, it goes out to skeptical people. It goes out to people that have a hard time buying into Christianity. Um, It goes out to the analytical thinkers, because I am one of you. (laughs) Um, But here's the truth. The reason that I bought in to Christianity, and I know that it's real, without a shadow of a doubt, is not just based on the experiences that I've had, but it's also been based on the crazy, radical love that I have felt by other believers and by Jesus in the darkest times of my life. Like in the darkest moments of my life when I felt like I was completely unworthy of God even loving me. We're so tempted to say there, there, there is no such thing as a God. And if he does exist, he must love everybody else, not me. When I've been in those moments when your mind just goes crazy, I have experienced a radical grace that only Jesus can give. My prayer for you today is if you are skeptical, let me ask you one question. What do you have to lose? Because if you find yourself here today, you're probably already searching for hope in something. You're wanting to anchor your feet down to something, to some kind of absolute truth, to something that can give you freedom, to something that can clear your mind, to something that can give you relief. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Man, if you're here today and you're struggling with depression, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm so glad that you took that step. For some of you, if you're struggling with depression, it's a huge step for you to even be sitting here this morning. For you to even be sitting here. It's hard. One of the points that I made last week was, man, get out of your house and just enjoy the sunshine and be around people. It's so hard when you struggle with depression to get around other people, to open up. But listen, I promise you this. What awaits you on the other side is so much better than you could ever imagine. It's a God that is going to radically love you. It's a God that is going to radically pursuing you. In fact, you'll discover all along that he's been pursuing you. He hasn't left you. He's been right there the whole time. We've just been so trapped in our own thoughts and our emotions and our heads, we just couldn't 